Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Go from dragging yourself to work each day to finding a job you love. The Career Spring program is for high-achieving and ambitious mid-level professionals like you who are looking for a job that uses your zone of genius, recognizes your value, and pays you what you're worth. If you're ready to learn more, schedule a complimentary consult using the link to my calendar in the show notes. Be sure to follow me on Exclusive Career Coaching on Facebook, Lisa Edwards on LinkedIn, and Lisa.Edwards on Instagram. Greetings. How's it going? How are you doing? Great, I hope. Hope you're enjoying a wonderful summer here in, at least in Northwest Florida, here in Tallahassee. It has rained a whole lot. So I have tried to go to the beach repeatedly and I keep getting thwarted in my efforts because of the weather. Hope you're having a little better luck where you are to get to do the outdoor things you love to do. Today, I want to talk about developing an exceptional work team. And I think this information is useful if you are the one developing the team. And I think it's also useful if you are the one who is in a team. And I want to talk about specifically the stages of group development. I think this is really interesting stuff. Thinking in terms of what is necessary and for that matter, inevitable for a team to grow, for a team to face up to challenges tackle problems, find the solutions, plan the work, and deliver the results. This work that I'm going to be talking about today is based on the research of Bruce Tuckman from 1965, and he hypothesized that along with these factors that I just mentioned, interpersonal relationships would create an effective group function, right? So you need those interpersonal relationships as well. And we're going to talk about those. So he identified four stages in his research, forming, storming, norming, and performing. And then I think there's one extra that has been kind of added on. I'm going to talk about that as well. And I'm also going to be talking about towards the end, what are the primary, what is the primary role that the leader needs to play in each of these stages? It's not the same role for each stage. And so I think that's a very interesting thing to think about. And I'd invite you, those of you who have been in groups and had the same leader throughout a group, what was that like? Did you see that the leader was more effective in certain phases than in others? Or if, in fact, you had different leaders for different phases of the project, what was that experience like? And were those leaders well suited to the phase that they were working with you on. All right, so first we have forming. So this is the phase where the team meets and meets each other, gets to kind of know each other, learns about the opportunities, the challenges they're going to be facing. And then the the team agrees on the goals and, and begins to tackle the tasks. So at this point, the team members tend to behave quite independently of one another. They haven't congealed and coalesced as a group yet. They may be motivated, but are usually not real informed in terms of the issues and the objectives of the team. So they kind of understand it on a surface level, but they don't really live it yet. They're not, again, not coalesced as a team. They're not completely bought in. Team members are usually on their best behavior 
but very focused on themselves. What is my role in this? How am I supposed to, you know, what's my measure of success? What are my tasks? And mature team members at this point tend to begin to model appropriate behaviors. So, you know, there's going to be a a bit of a difference at this phase with how the team members are becoming part of the group or not. And a piece of that is their professional maturity, their emotional intelligence and that kind of thing. The meeting environment is also really important here as members kind of try to get to become oriented to the tasks that they're going to be performing. They get oriented to each other. And this is also the stage in which the test, the the team members are testing boundaries and creating kind of ground rules, official and unofficial rules of how this group is going to behave and define organizational standards. So the meeting environment in terms of the physical space that they're meeting in, you know, how that's set up, is it on-site, off-site, what tools are available to them there and all of that. And typically at this point, the discussion is centering on the scope of the task. So getting that definition of what, what is the scope of this task? How are we going to approach it? What are our concerns? And then to grow from this stage to the next, each team member is going to have to give up the comfort of the non-threatening topics and risk the possibility of conflict. So in other words, there comes a point as they go into this next phase where there has to be some conflict. There has to be some, if you will, growing pains. And as the group coalesces, part of that coalescing is standing up for what the individual members believe in, you know, and, and it's not about me, me, me. It's about, it's more, it becomes more about what is right for the team, what is right for the outcome we're trying to achieve, et cetera. So that's the forming stage. We're coming together. We're learning the ground rules. We're learning each other. We're primarily acting independently at this point. We are thinking primarily about ourselves and our individual roles in, in the team. Next, we have the storming phase. And then this phase the group starts to gain each other's trust. And it happens in, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but it happens in part because the individual members start to voice their opinions. They start to not just go along with what is told to them or what they're, you know, told that this is how it's going to go. And of course, as a result of this, there is going to be some conflict. It, it can also be not just conflict about how are we going to proceed and what are our main objectives, but it can also be a bit of a pecking order issue, you know, power and status and, you know, a little bit of the, of a little bit of crowing going on and, and certain people may be trying to step up to the lead, even though there is a designated leader, there will become kind of leaders within the group. And that's a really important phase of group development, because one of the things that you're going to hear is the leaders should be looking at these people as potential leaders of their own group down the road. And how are they behaving in the team? How are they showing up as leaders? Are they, is there material there to work with for a future project? And at this point, the group members are starting to learn about each member's individual work styles, what's it like to work together as a team. And then again, that kind of that hierarchy, that pecking order is being established. And at this stage, it's primarily a positive and polite atmosphere. People are, you know, maybe excited about the project. They're really eager. There's a lot of positivity going on for some. (laughs) And for others, 
there's an increased sense of suspicion, fear, anxiety. And the leader of the group then has to describe the task to the group, describe the different behaviors to the group, how to deal and handle with complaints. And so you've got this overall, we're kind of working together, but we're going to have some people, if it's a group of any size and any diversity, they're going to be some folks who are maybe anxious about this. They're not really coalescing. And again, one of the leader's jobs is to recognize that before it becomes an issue and bring those people on side. And here's a quote. In this stage, participants form opinions about the character and integrity of the other participants and feel compelled to voice these opinions if they find someone shirking responsibility or attempting to dominate. Sometimes participants question the actions or decisions of the leader as the process grows harder. So again, we're starting, we're starting to have that conflict that is a necessary part of group development. People are questioning the leader, people observing the leader, how is the leader showing up for them? They're starting to make assessments and decisions about how they feel about the other team members. Now, disagreements and personality cl clashes here must be resolved before the team can progress out of this stage, right? So what we don't want to have is a team that stays in the storming phase. You may have been in a group like this before, and, and it is obviously not a group that is going to achieve much, and it's probably going to fall apart. So again, that the role of that leader is so important here. In Tuckman's 1965 paper about this, he found that only 50% of the studies identified a stage of intra-group conflict. And some of the remaining studies jumped from stage one to stage three. So they skipped the whole storming phase altogether. And that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. Some groups are just going to inherently get together, be more maybe agreeable, you know, not fight the status quo. But for those groups that don't avoid it, the duration, intensity, and destructiveness of the storms can vary widely, as I'm sure those of you that have any experience with groups have probably experienced that. So the tolerance of each member and their differences are really important here. There has to be that tolerance and patience of each team member. And the phase, this phase can become destructive to the team if it's not resolved. It's going to lower motivation. The group can kind of run amok and get out of control. And I think what's important to understand here, though, is the inherent disagreements are not bad. If they are resolved in a positive, emotionally intelligent way, the group is going to be stronger and more versatile, able to work more effectively together, more honest and open, all of those things. And the supervisor in this phase tends to be more accessible, but kind of more directive in their guidance. So they're they're still kind of running the show. And again, I'm going to talk about those skill sets that the leader needs in each of these phases. The idea here is that the team members are as much as possible resolving the differences themselves and not having to go to, you know, mommy or daddy, the the leader to do that. The ideal situation is that they won't feel judged and they will share their opinions and views openly and tension and struggle and even arguments are part of the process that don't mean that things have come off the rails. So that's the storming phase. We're starting to really come together as a group. People are starting to express their opinions more strongly. It's very likely that disagreements and arguments 
will occur and it, it is a matter of how long do they last, how severe are they, and you know, how emotionally mature are the, are the team members in resolving those differences. So then we go into the norming phase. And here's a quote. Resolved disagreements and personality clashes result in greater intimacy and a spirit of cooperation emerges, end quote. So this is going to happen when the team is aware of competition and they share a common goal. So it's kind of us against them, but in a healthy way. In this stage, all of the team members are taking responsibility and all of them want to work towards the success of the of the team goals. So again, we don't always get here because we get stuck in that storming phase and we can't work it out. In this phase, the norming phase, the team members start tolerating the whims and kind of fancies of the other team members. They they overlook them because they have more of an understanding of the positive things that that team member brings to the table and they're more tolerant of you know the lesser appealing things that they bring to the table the final phase is performing and here's a direct quote with group norms and roles established group members focus on achieving common goals often reaching an unexpectedly high level of success unquote so by this time the team is motivated they're knowledgeable they're competent and autonomous. They're able to handle the decision-making process without the supervisor. So in this role, in this phase, the supervisor's role is more of a participant. It should be, you know, if a stranger walked into the room and and sat in on one of their meetings for 30 minutes, it shouldn't be glaringly obvious who the leader of the group is. So everybody's kind of got, you know, their participation in the group. Another thing I think is important to mention here is that even the most high-performing teams are going to go revert to earlier stages. So we could be in the performing stage and something kicks us back to the storming stage. We could be in the norming phase and we get kicked back. Maybe some some members drop out for whatever reason. We get new members. We find ourselves back in the forming phase. It's also possible that groups can cycle through these phases as they respond to re, you know, changing circumstances. So the scope of the work changes. Again, team members might change. Something about the organization changes and they find themselves cycling through. And I think a big, a big place in which the cycling through happens is if a new leader is brought into the group. So in 1977, so about 12 years after he did his initial work, Tuckman added a fifth stage, a journey. And this stage involves completing the task, breaking up the team. It's also sometimes called mourning. And Tuckman's research concluded that an important step in this small group life cycle was the ultimate separation of the, of the life cycle. And I think when, when I was reading about this and doing my research, what came to mind was I had recently watched, oh, some, something, some kind of reality TV show, but it was about the cast of some long running show and I don't even remember which one it was so I, I can't share it if I <laughs> if I wanted to but it was cast members talking about how they felt and how they reacted to all of a sudden their day job for many years was gone and this group that they had formed and albeit there had been changes to the group cast members and, and you know behind the scenes folks 
it still was very much they kept using the term family and this family had broken apart and there was there was a mourning phase and there was the sense of loss and then there was the sense of you know now where do we go and what do we do and who are we without this team so i really thought about that as i was reading this now as a leader of small groups let's talk about that how do you facilitate this life cycle so in the forming phase a leader should engage, engage their coordinating behavior. So what does that mean? They should purposefully pick the team, facilitate goal identification, and ensure a shared mental model, which is a cohesive approach to thinking about the problem or the task at hand. In other words, what's our approach going to be? What's our mindset going to be? What's our mental model as we approach this task? So that's kind of coordinating behaviors in the forming phase. In the storming phase, a leader, should, a leader should engage their coaching behaviors, and that's going to include serving as a resource person for the team, developing mutual trust, and calming the work environment when needed. So that's the storming phase, and the leader wants to have coaching behaviors. In the norming and performing phases, a leader should engage their empowering behaviors. Now, that's going to include getting feedback from team members facilitating the transfer of leadership to the group, in other words, kind of stepping back from that primary leadership role, and then setting a, setting aside time for planning and engaging the team. So taking a bigger picture approach, a more strategic approach in their role to the team. And I think if you think about these behaviors, coordinating, coaching, empowering, those are very different skill sets. And yes, we know people who have all of those but in some cases, depending on, you know, how big is the project, how long does the project last, what is the cost? And I mean that in the sense of what is the cost to the organization if this is not done right? What's the payoff? Looking at all of that, there may need to be different leaders in the group at different phases. And then finally, we have the adjourning phase, and that's where a leader is going to engage supporting behavior. So this is where we start redefining roles, right? So if you have some sort of supervisory authority over some of these people, how will you put them back into their so-called so day job? If you don't have direct report over them, how can you still support them in going back into their day job? And as I mentioned earlier, kind of creating those future leadership opportunities. So really identifying those people who stood out as having leadership potential, being on a leadership path within the organization, and how can you help them with the next step after the group adjourns. I wanted to take a few minutes to outline three leadership strategies that I thought would be really helpful with these groups. So number one, group diversity is everything if you can manage it. And that's a big if. And I think about things from a personality perspective, as, as I've said on the podcast before, I'm a master practitioner of the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, the world's most widely used personality inventory. And so I was thinking about this group development from the Myers-Briggs personality perspective. And research has been very clear with the Myers-Briggs in showing that homogeneous groups, so groups that are very similar in personality type, the people in the group, tend to get along better with less conflict. But, and, and this is important to think about, heterogeneous groups, so diverse groups, tend to achieve better results if they learn to work together, if they can appreciate those differences instead of attacking them and resenting them. 
So understanding personality type and subsequently bringing together a diverse group in terms of the way they take in information, the way they make decisions, the way they structure themselves, and the way they orient themselves to the outer world, which are the four preference pairs of the Myers-Briggs, that's going to ultimately help you get the best possible result. So I always tell people that when I was hiring folks in higher ed, I didn't want to hire many me's because the things that I liked and was were good at doing would be the same things that my mini me would like to do and, and probably was good at doing. I wanted somebody who was pretty different from me, whose strengths would be my weaknesses and in, in, in the opposite true as well. And we could complement each other better. So that's what we're really talking about here. So number one, group diversity is everything if you can manage it. Number two, striking a balance between decisiveness and inclusivity. This concept was brought home to me by a client recently that I was working with, and he was telling me kind of his leadership style. And I said, so you're inclusive and decisive. And he's like, bingo, that's right on. So here's what's going to happen. If you're not decisive enough, your team is going to run over you. But if you're dictatorial, they're going to rebel against you like a bunch of teenagers, right? So your challenge is to find the ideal balance in there between getting input so all of the members feel heard and their opinions valued and making the necessary decisions that move the group forward. So personality type plays a role with this as well, right? So make sure your introverts are heard. What tends to happen is if you spring a question or a concept or something like that, on introverts in a meeting, they're not going to give you their best effort. They're not going to give you their thoughts. They need to process their their thoughts about something ahead of time in order to talk about it. They think first and then talk. We extroverts, we talk and then we think. So you want to give them the agenda ahead of time with specific questions or issues that you're going to be bringing up. So your agenda might say, you know, items for discussion and have a very specific question there. That's going to help you get the best out of your quieter members, because just because they're quieter doesn't mean they don't have every bit as much or more to contribute to the group as the extroverts. And if a lack of decisiveness is one of your weaknesses, you want to establish a time frame for decision making. So, for example, you might set a timer in the meeting and say, OK, we're going to discuss this topic for X number of minutes, set the timer. And then when the alarm goes off, you make the decision, whether it's by vote or whether it's by, you know, whatever method you want to use. But those and that's a perceiving preference in the Myers-Briggs. If you are a perceiver, you tend to like to keep things open so that you can be more flexible. But typically in projects, there's there are decisions to be made and there are time frames within to which to work. So you want to decide after that timer goes off. And then the next thing is the next thing, right? We move on. We don't second guess. We don't reevaluate. We don't bring that topic back up unless there's something critical that has happened. We move on. So that's number two, striking a balance between decisiveness and inclusivity. Number three, continue to step back gradually. As the team becomes more cohesive, the roles and responsibilities become more clearly defined and the forward progress starts to accelerate, you want to change your leadership role. And an important skill set here is to know when to step back to more and more of a, that facilitation support role. When do I really not lead the group at all? I'm more of a facilitator. And I have seen with many leaders that ego can get in the way here. So you want to make sure that you remember this is not about you. This is about the project, the goals, the people that are in the group. You have 
an amazing opportunity here to develop emerging leaders, to help the team members develop certain skills, and watch synergy happen between people who maybe didn't even know each other before this group formed. So the the next step is continue to step back gradually. And then I'm going to give you a bonus one, evaluate your leadership. This is a growth opportunity for you as a leader as well. So it's really important for you to assess your leadership strengths at each of these phases. And you want to do it from a place of not judgment and criticism of yourself, but for self-development, the same way that you would do presumably for one of your team members or a, a colleague that you that you care a great deal about. Where could you have handled a situation better? Where were you too fast, too slow to address a problem? Internally, did you find any places where you were resisting a change that maybe would require a different set of skills? So you were resisting change for no reason other than what it was going to mean to you personally. This is a great learning curve opportunity for you. So even if you've led other groups, you haven't led this group with this purpose before. So be kind to yourself, but also give yourself some feedback. So that's evaluate your leadership. I hope this has given you some food for thought. I hope you are thinking about some of the groups that you've been in and what that experience was like and maybe which areas here kind of really resonated with you in thinking about those groups. So I hope this has been helpful and I'll see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.